Thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email to amen at imtheexchange.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at imtheexchange.com. Doing this will help us to bless others and bring messages to you each week. Today's message is from our lead pastor, Pastor Jared Brooks. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. How many thinkers do we have? Do we have any thinkers in here? You just you just sit and think and analyze and you watch, you know? You watch the I'm one of those people that people will come up to me and they're like, Wow, who are you mad at? And I'm like, what are you talking about? You just have this look on your face. I'm sorry, I was just thinking. <laughs> I just have that face that looks like I want to kill somebody, and I don't, <clears throat> but I was just thinking. And uh, I just have that kind of face sometimes. But I'm a thinker, and I, I like to think about things, and I know that we have thinkers here, but as a thinker, sometimes when you're in the church and you're a thinker, occasionally, not all the time, but occasionally we start to overthink God and, and church and our relationship with God. And we start thinking things like this. Maybe this is just me. Maybe it's you. But we start thinking things like, I wish I had more proof, God. I wish I had more proof. If I had just a little bit more proof, then, then I would believe. Or, or if I had just more proof, you know, then I would understand more of what or why I believe actually what I believe, and, and we just want a little bit more proof. Have you ever prayed that type of prayer? God, especially when it's a loved one, when you're praying over a loved one, and you're like, God, man, if you would just, God, if you just do something awesome, I would have so much more faith, right? Nope, just me, I'm the only one who prays that prayer. Come on, I know some of you prayed that prayer. But when it comes, when it comes to God, maybe sometimes we're like, God, if you would just do something spectacular, if you would just do something one time, something one time spectacular that I could see you do, then I would have so much more faith. I would have way bigger faith. God, I would believe. I would understand, right? Anybody? But as I think about that, and as I've thought about that all week long, this, is, this thought has come to my mind. God is so present God is so, so, and when I say so, so, I mean so, so like a bunch of times. God is so, so apparent that sometimes we actually miss God. I mean, he's so here, and, and we say things like this. We go, God, if you would just do something so spectacular, so spectacular, God, I would have so much faith. And, and I wonder if God occasionally, I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but I wonder if sometimes God's like, hmm, um, okay, like, uh, what, what, like, what do you want me to do? Here, I got one for you. Uh, this is God talking. And God says, um, how about this? How about I create a rock? And, and I'll create a rock that's big enough for you to live in, to live on. And, and I'll create and I'll fine-tune everything around this rock, including this rock, and, and I'll float it out there, and I'll fine-tune everything so that it sustains life and that you can live on this rock forever and ever and ever if you would like to. And, and you know what? Even more so, 
I will make it stand in stark contrast to all the other little floating rocks out there, right? Oh, wait, I already did that trick. Okay? You get where I'm going here? And we're like, no, God, I'm not talking about creating the earth. I'm talking about something spectacular. I mean, truly spectacular. And God's like, okay, well, how about this one? How about I give you a 576 megapixel camera? Not, not only that, I'll give you two of them, and I'll put them in the front of your head. And I'll connect them to this 3,000 gigahertz processor that will allow you to pass information from generation to generation to generation to generation. And it'll be unbelievable. How about that? Oh, I already did that. I'm not saying that's how God would say it. If I was God, that's how I would say it. I already did that little trick. Or what about this one? That while Pastor Jared is speaking up here, 50,000 cells will die and replace themselves before Pastor Jared finishes this sentence. How about that trick? Bada bing, bada ari, did it. And the amazing thing about everything I just said is that this happens with no conscious effort on your part. You didn't have to do anything, and that's really confusing, and it's really messing with our heads because our brains are so much smarter than our minds, right? And our brains, while you're sitting here, your brain is telling your body to do stuff that's going on inside your body right now that you're not even thinking about. I mean, you're sitting here listening to me, so you got your legs crossed, whatever, and your brain's just telling your body all kinds of stuff happening inside here. And and you don't even have anything to do with it. Isn't that amazing? That this, this 3,000 gigahertz processor that we got going on up here is just working and working and working. And we're like, no, God, not. we're talking, we want you to do something spectacular. And God's like, like what? I mean, God, if you, if you just heal, heal people, I want to see you like, Actually heal somebody in front of me. Heal them. And God's like, you know that processor that I put in your head? Did you know that it's actually healing yourself all the time? Come on. I don't just walk around when I was on this earth and heal people, but I created a species of self-healers. Come on, think about that that I created your brain to go ahead and start the process of healing all kinds of things going on inside of you that you don't even know about. Oh, but you want me to do something spectacular. Okay. Well, I just want to share that with you today. Thank you for coming. Amen. Don't forget the offering on the way out. Appreciate you. Listen, we're in part five. Everybody say five of our series, Seeing is believing. And man, I've enjoyed this series so much. Uh, it's just given me a, a new pers perspective on John and, and why John wrote the things that John wrote. And, and throughout this series, we're going through this journey with John as, as he journeys with Jesus, and he decides to give us this account. And he writes this account, and, and I've said this a few times, we're not real sure if John actually wrote it. Most people don't believe John actually wrote it. They believe he dictated this because when this was written, he was very, very old, 
probably couldn't see very well, probably couldn't write very well, and it came to us in perfect Greek. John didn't know perfect Greek, so, so there's a good chance that he dictated this, and as John dictates this, he organizes it around very specific events. Now, these events, we have mostly always called them miracles. John doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs. And the reason they're signs is because miracle, everybody knows what miracles is. John said, I don't want you to think about this as just a miracle. Absolutely, it was a miracle. But I want you to recognize that this was a sign. It was a very specific sign that pointed to what? Who Jesus was. Every sign pointed to who Jesus was. And he documents all of this so that future generations would know and understand the story of Jesus, not just know the story of Jesus, but he wrote this agenda, and this agenda was very clear so that when people read the document that he wrote, he wanted it to be clear to them that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. He says it in John chapter 20, verse 31. He says, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life, everybody say life, life in his name. I want you to respond. I don't want you to just sit there, and this is John thinking. I don't want you to just sit there and go, oh, wow, what? that's really interesting, John, what you wrote. I don't want you to do that. But when you read what I wrote, he's, he's talking specifically to the Jewish people. He says, when you read what I wrote, I want you to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah who you've been waiting for for hundreds of years. You have been waiting generation after generation after generation. John says, I want you to know Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. And then he addresses anyone who's not a Jew. He's saying, if you're not a Jew and you don't believe Jesus, that's fine. But I want you to recognize Jesus is, in fact, the unique son of God. So he's the Messiah to the Jews because they needed that. But to all the rest of the people, he's like, if you don't need him as a Messiah, I want you to know he is the son of God. And that when you actually get this in your brain and you put this all together and you begin to believe it and you follow that, then you, when you believe that, you can have life, a different kind of life, a great, unbelievable life in that name. Isn't that powerful? So he has this agenda, and he organizes, and it's really incredible, but he organizes this account around these events called signs, and today we are on the fifth sign. Now, if you're going through the, the document of John, you could count this as the sixth sign, but today we're going to call it the fifth sign, and um, so he's He's documented this, and John is wanting us to read this, and at the end of reading this, he's wanting us to go, wow, John, you're right. Jesus is who he claimed to be. So he gets to this sign. Now, excuse my voice. I know it's probably annoying to somebody. Um, but John gets to the end of this, and, and some of you might remember this. There's this thing. Uh, there were Bibles. They're hard Bibles, paperback Bibles, whatever. Your grandparents used to carry them around. Have you ever seen like a real in flesh Bible? One of those? Okay. So if you've ever seen one of those, if you had one of those and you look this up, this might have a heading 
and it might say this, the healing of a blind man, okay? That's in the physical Bible. So let me catch you up in the series and where we're at so far. If you haven't been a part of it, uh, we're going to jump right into this narrative. But Jesus travels up and down, up and down, north and south, north and south, all throughout Israel doing ministering, okay? Uh, We've talked about this several weeks. Israel looks like this. Up north here, we have Galilee. Down south here, we have Judea. And he travels from Galilee and Judea to Galilee and Judea, Galilee and Judea, back and forth, back and forth. And the reason he does that is because in Judea, down here in the south, that's where uh, Jerusalem was. Okay? Now, when you get to Jerusalem, Jerusalem is where the temple was. The temple is where most all the religious people are. So Jesus would go down south to Jerusalem and Judea, and he would always stir stuff up. He always messing with people. He would stir stuff up. They would want to kill him, and he would disappear. He would leave, whoop, go up north about five or six days, hang out in Galilee. He would teach and chill and eat breakfast at, his, at the uh, bed and breakfast or whatever, and he'd hang out. And then when it was time, he'd go right back down, whoop, and he'd mess with people again. They'd try to kill him, whoop, he'd go right back up north. So that's just, if you read the Gospels, you'll see him ping pong back and forth. Up and down and up and down and up and down. So at this point of the story, um, and, and the thing is, is that Jerusalem, they got fed up with John the Baptist, okay? John the Baptist annoyed them. Now he's out of the picture. Now it's Jesus. Jesus is now annoying the temple people. And they, the reason that they annoyed Jesus because he stirred up the people, He got the people all stirred up. And if he got the people stirred up, then it was messing with the city. You start getting the city stirred up. It's messing with the whole countryside. You start doing that, and then it starts messing with Rome. And you get Rome stirred up, that's bad, because they were under Rome's thumb, right? They were under the oppression of Rome. So, So Jesus is going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and Jesus is now in Jerusalem. And he's hanging out in Jerusalem, And John is documenting this whole story. John is with him. John sees what happens. And John says this. Here's what happened. John could say we, but he says he. He says he went along. This is John chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. He says he went along. He saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Now, John, being one of these followers, I'm sure they probably whispered it. They probably didn't say it out loud. I don't know that they really yelled it or whatever. But they probably leaned over to him and said, hey, Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, you see that guy over there? He's always here. He's always begging. And uh, we were just curious. We had this question, who sinned? Okay? As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Because in the first century, there was this assumption that sin and suffering had a direct connection, okay? There was a connection from sin with sin and suffering. If you were suffering, it was because of sin. They believed that. In some senses, they believed that you were getting what you deserved because you're suffering with that sin. Obviously, that really had an impact and on the relationship between uh, Christian people, believers, and the compassion that they showed because in that 
time period, they believed people were getting what they deserve. So that messes with people. I said this a few weeks ago, but if a pregnant woman walked into a pagan temple, they believed that her unborn child also was in sin, and so that child would pay for that sin, the sin of the disobedient mother for the rest of their life. And that's where things happen, like people being born blind or born deaf or born dumb, things like that. They believed that that was a cause and effect relationship. So they had all this mystery around them and superstition. Now we, today in 2019, we understand that sometimes our behavior does result in suffering. Mm, Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. We also understand that sometimes other people's behavior causes our suffering. And it's And sometimes it's not obvious, but Jesus, he wants us to see right here that it's not connected, that it's not connected. Jesus shifts the paradigm and what he says next, and he says, to answer your question, you're asking me this question about who sinned, that guy or his parents, that he was born blind. Let me answer your question. The answer to the question is neither. What? That didn't make sense because then they believed, honestly, it had to be one or the other. And Jesus said, neither, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. I know this is what you're thinking. I know that this is what's in your head, but it's all wrong. You've got it all wrong. And then he says something. He creates a whole new category. Now, you may think that this is kind of insensitive to say but I promise I wouldn't say it if I wasn't quoting Jesus. But Jesus says this, but this happened so that, okay? So he's saying, you're asking me this question, who sinned? Was it this guy or was it his parents? And Jesus said, it's neither. It's neither. This thing happened so that. He's saying that this man was being blind, born blind, happened so that it happened. And Jesus starts teaching this. He teaches it in other places that pain can have a purpose. Pain can have a purpose. Pain and suffering can actually have a divine purpose. Perhaps pain and suffering always has a divine purpose. Jesus' pain and suffering certainly had a divine purpose. This blind man, obviously his pain and suffering has a divine purpose. And so maybe, maybe, just maybe, our pain and suffering has divine purpose. Have you ever thought about that? We know that it's a category, and Jesus continues, and he says, but this happened. In other words, this man isn't being punished. His parents aren't being punished for this particular suffering or episode or whatever. This thing happened so that, and then he gives us the so that. So that the works of God might be displayed in him. So that the works, in other words, sometimes, maybe just sometimes, God chooses to display his power on a platform or on the stage of our suffering. Can you imagine? And see, that's hard for us to think that God would use that, but God is displaying his power sometimes through that. 
In fact, you've seen it before. You've seen people who are going through things and they have this pain and they're suffering and their response to their pain and their response to the suffering was so powerful that it made you become a believer. Have you ever known people like that? That your pain, that you saw their pain and their suffering and their faith was so strong and so unshakable that it caused you, I mean, sure, we would all like to live 99 years, all of our kids have full-ride scholarships to get the best education, all of our kids go on and be super, super smart and making six figures like crazy. If that was the case, you'd add more kids, I know. And, and none of them, and everybody, when we get to the age of 99, one day we just smile and go to sleep and we never wake up, and that's how we all die, right? Come on, that would be awesome. But that's not reality, right? And, and sometimes we go through things. Sometimes the most impressive thing that I've seen in ministry are men and women who've gone through the worst of the worst of the worst, and their faith is unshakable. And, and that, that kind of faith is what draws people like us in to believe. I remember when I was in high school, That was a long time ago. I was waiting for a smart aleck remark, but I didn't hear any. When I was in high school a long time ago, um, I had two cousins, both from my dad's side. One of them was my uncle's daughter, and one of them was my aunt's uh, daughter. Both of them were diagnosed with leukemia about uh, a couple months apart, about a month or so apart. Um, one of them, when she was diagnosed, Stephanie, she was eight years old. And Nikki, Jessica Nicole was her name. She was diagnosed when she was 14 years old. And uh, I was in high school when they were diagnosed. And, and they both passed away two years later, about two or three months apart. And this is on the, my dad's side of the family, same side. It was really weird. I mean, it was really, really awkward. Uh, just the timing of it, the, the chances of having two first cousins diagnosed almost at the same time, and go in and out of remission for two years, and then die. Um, it was unbelievable. And Nikki, I was Nikki. I was more close to. We grew up together. Her brother is like my brother, her older brother. We, our families basically lived together. We, we tri- moved around together, and we were just really, really close. And I, I'll never forget, as Nikki was in the hospital, and I was a youth pastor in the later stages of, of her life, I would go to the hospital, and her faith was just unshakable, unshakable. In fact, this picture right here, I was a, well, this is not a joke, this is for real, but I was a professional glamour shots photographer, <laughs> and I did family photos. <laughs> I ain't lying. If I'm lying, I'm fine, but uh, Nikki wasn't able to go to her, her prom her uh, junior year, and so they fixed her up a wig. Uh, she, at, at this time, she had no hair. They fixed her up a wig, and you can't really see it in this picture, but right at the top in those trees, you can kind of see a shiny silver thing. That was her, uh, her uh, what do they call it? Uh, yeah, the IV roller thing that holds the fluids and all that stuff. You all know what I'm talking about. And I hid it behind some trees, and they put a wig on her, and they fixed her up and got her letter jacket. And 
and uh, we took pictures of her for prom. And uh, those are the last pictures that she got to take. And right after this, she she just she came out of her mission, and and she went downhill in a couple months, just fast. And the thing I remember about Nikki is that everyone that came into her room was blown away by her faith. I mean, blown away by her faith in Jesus. There was a season that her mouth began to eat away, and they kept it covered up so you couldn't see it. And I watched her just go through. She couldn't even talk to us. She would just kind of grunt and make sounds and point. And I was always trying to make her laugh because that's just what I do. And her faith in God was still unshakable. I just didn't understand. I knew that there was no possible way she wasn't going to walk out of that hospital healed because she had the greatest faith of anybody I've ever seen in my life. And then she died. And I thought, faith of a must. She had, it just didn't make sense. It didn't make sense. And I was so angry and so confused about, man, if she, with the amount of faith that she had, if God didn't heal her with that amount of faith, then where is God? And I was just so angry, so confused. And I'm a youth pastor. I'm a youth pastor. And then we have the funeral a few days later. And at the funeral, the funeral was in Brownfield, Texas, which is about 30 minutes from Lubbock. And uh, at the funeral, there were so many people, they had to open up another building for people to come in. Every doctor that had seen Nikki, every nurse and doctor that had seen Nikki in the past two years showed up. Some of them were on call. And, And where this church was at, according to where UMC was at, they were just a few miles outside of the boundary that you can go when you're on call. And they all came to the funeral. And you know what they all said? My life has been changed. My faith has been changed because of that girl right there. Man, can you imagine that kind of faith? That kind of faith that just blows people away and and it draws other people in. You've seen it. God demonstrates his power occasionally on platforms like that, platforms where there's human weakness and where there's actually suffering. And so he he turns to his audience, Jesus does. He turns to his audience and he says this, okay, okay. They're focused on the blind man. They're kind of whispering about him. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, hey, guys, listen. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. To which they had to be thinking, stop. You always do this. You always change the subject. We were asking you who sinned. This guy or his parents, blah, blah, blah. We're asking you one thing. You totally go off. We don't even know what you're talking about. You totally change the script on us. You start talking about, we got to work while it's daytime because it's going to get dark soon or whatever. We don't even know what you said. And they're like, we're, we're so confused. We were talking about a blind guy. You just flipped it. And Jesus, he goes on, he says this. This is so important. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Here's the point. 
And this is so powerful. The point of, of John's entire gospel is he's saying, hey, guys, look. Look at my identity. Look at who I truly am. And who I am will never, ever, ever be more apparent than it is right now. Okay, who I am is never going to be more clear than it is right now. I am the light of the world. Okay, I am the light. Look at me, fellas. I am the light of the world, and the light will never be brighter than it is right now while I'm on planet Earth. Because one day I'm going to leave, and when I leave, it's going to get dark. It's going to be darker when I leave. But you need to learn from me, ladies and gentlemen. Watch me. And believe, he might look at Matthew and John and say, guys, take good notes. I don't know if he said that. But they were about to document all these conversations. And he says, because when I leave, things change. Verse number six, he says, after saying this, he spit on the ground and he made some mud with saliva and he put it on the man's eyes. I've always loved this story. This has always been one of my favorite of the miracles and signs, because that's just weird, okay? He does the strangest thing. He spits on the ground. I have a lot of questions. This story doesn't give us a lot of details, but I have a lot of questions about this. Like, how many times did he spit, okay? I, I spit all the time. When I'm playing softball and, and playing golf stuff, I spit, but I don't never have enough spit to make really mud. So in my mind, he probably spit a few times or hawked a big one. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. I apologize. But there's, there's all these things, and, and he spits on the ground, and he makes mud, and, and the disciples, they got to be thinking, whoa, whoa, don't go there. We're so close to the temple. Jesus, you know. You don't do this again. You always do this. We're in Jerusalem, Jesus. Wait till we go back to Galilee for this kind of stuff. Now, I wish we had more details, but we don't have more details. There's a lot of things in this story. I wonder, like, did he ask the blind man? Have you ever thought about that? Did he say, do you mind if I put mud on your face? Did he tell Peter and John, hold him? You know, hold him for a second. Watch this, you know. I don't know. I don't know what he said, but it's really odd. But he, he puts this mud on him. He spits and makes mud with his saliva, and he puts it on the guy's eyes. And, and then he says something that I know we've all heard, and, and we've heard him tell other people. He said something, actually, that he tells our whole generation. He says to the man who was born blind, go. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Salome. So the blind man, now listen, this is foreshadowing. We're, what we're doing in, in this whole series, and I know you've caught this. Uh, if you haven't, please go back and listen to this. But what we're doing is we're showing you that these things, most people read the Bible, they read the document of John, and they just go, oh, yeah, the miracles, like the water and the wine, and he healed the nobleman's son, and then the healing at the pool of Bethesda. And, and we just name all these little miracles. John's trying to show you this was not just a miracle, okay? So you got to read between the lines because Jesus 
did some amazing things, and John picked these things so that we could see. So the blind man, this is foreshadowing. This is John's whole point, okay? This is why he chose this event. So the blind man walks away, and he walks away by faith and not by, you see, he, he walks away. He's in this moment. He has an encounter with somebody. He doesn't even have a clue who he's just had this encounter with. Jesus has been asking us, literally, our Heavenly Father has been asking us, literally, to do this ever since, to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. And, and you know what he did? He, he chose to trust someone he could not see based on rumors. He chose to believe someone that he couldn't see based on rumors about that person. And at the end of John's gospel, and we'll talk about this later when we get there. I know I've already said this one time in this series. But at the end of John's gospel, Jesus says this to his disciples. Hey, 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 guys, blessed are, are you guys that have seen all this stuff. Okay? So imagine Jesus sitting down with his disciples, and he's telling them, man, Kevin, Titian, D, blessed are you guys because you've seen what I've done. You were there when I healed that guy. You were there when I, I spit and I put the mud in the guy's eye. You were there when I turned the water to water. You were there. Remember when we fed the 20,000-plus people? Uh, you know, the 5,000 men, then all the women and children, everybody. And then remember that? You... Blessed are you because you see. And then he goes on, he says this, but doubly blessed, more blessed are those who haven't seen and yet they still believe. That's for you. That's for you. Isn't that awesome? That we, we're counted in that, that we're so blessed because we believe and we didn't get to see all this stuff. So the man went and washed and he came home seeing. Suddenly, he could see. And where did he go? He went home. He went home, and his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begged, begging, said, isn't that the same man who used to sit and beg week after week and month after month? And he was always out there begging every single day. Some claimed that that is the guy. Other people said, no, there's no way that's the guy. But he himself, talking about the blind man, said, hey, I'm that man. I'm the man. That is me. I was the, the guy. I know you don't recognize me because I'm walking different, but that's because I can see where I'm going, you know? And you don't recognize me because I usually have a stick in my hand. I don't need a stick anymore. And some of the people that I used to run with, I don't even know what they look like, so I'm not with them. I don't even know where they are. You know, I'm just saying, of course, I, I, it's different, but it's me. It's me. And, and he goes on, and they start asking him questions because they are so curious, and they ask him this question, how? Right? Isn't that the first thing you would ask? When, when somebody you had known their whole life, they were born blind, and then all of a sudden they walk up, and they're not blind? How? How are your eyes open, they asked him. And he replied, here's what happened. The man they called Jesus, now when he said that, I imagine that most people at this time 
now have heard of Jesus, okay? You got to think about the time period, all the stuff that's going on. So when he says, the man they called Jesus, most people were like, oh, Jesus. We know who you're talking about. He made some mud, and he put it on my eyes. That's all he said. That makes me wonder, did he know Jesus spit? Right? Come on, you, nobody ever wonders that? Because he just says, he made some mud and put it in my eyes. Did he know where the mud came from? He, I mean, maybe he did or maybe he didn't, because you know those silent spitters, you know? Maybe Jesus turned around. I don't know. I don't know. But he said he made some mud, he put it in my eyes, and he told me to go to Sloan and to wash. And so I went and I washed, and I could see. I did what he asked me to, even though it made absolutely no sense. There it is again. Mm. I did what he asked me to, even though it made no sense. I went and I washed my eyes and I could see. And, of course, these guys are curious. In verse 12, they say, well, where is this man? I don't know, he said. I couldn't see which way they went, Sherlock. I put that up there, but. That's not actually, that's the JRV. That's the Jared's realistic version. That's not actually most people's English Bible. The real English Bible says, I don't know, he said, period. I don't think that works. <clears throat> it's probably not good to put words in the mouth of someone that Jesus actually healed. But uh, if I was a smart aleck back then, you know, I would have said, who knows? Anyway, so they did what they were supposed to do based on Old Covenant. Okay, they ask, where is this man? And he answers, I have no clue. I don't know where this guy is. So based on old covenant tradition, old covenant laws, and agreement between God and the nation of Israel, whenever someone was miraculously healed or when someone was going to be able to be brought back into society, because a lot of people, like if they were a leper or whatever, they were shunned, they were pushed out. If somebody was able to be brought back into society and coexist, First, they had to take them to the religious leaders, take them to the elders and present them. So they did. Verse number 14 says, so they brought the Pharisees to the man, or they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. And the music of the soundtrack, if we had a soundtrack, the music changes. Okay? This is really, really important. It says, now, the day on which Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Dun, dun, dun. Remember, we just talked about this a few weeks ago. It was the Sabbath. He done did it again. When will he learn? Because according to the tradition of the elders, according to the oral Torah, not the written Torah, the oral Torah, you were not allowed to do certain things on the Sabbath. Remember we talked about this. There were 39 categories of things that you could not do on the Sabbath according to their oral Torah. The written Torah just says, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. But they went and they built these big fences all around to make sure nobody sinned. They put these oral laws in it. One of those oral laws was this. You cannot mix or knead anything. Knead, K-N-E-A-D, knead anything. 
but he took spit and he made mud and he kneaded it. He mixed it together. He broke the Sabbath by doing that. He broke the Sabbath. You're not supposed to heal anybody either. That's another one of the rules. You're not supposed to heal anybody unless it's to save a life. And this guy's life wasn't in jeopardy. He was just blind. And Jesus healed him. He did it again. I imagine Jesus was replied, maybe this is not in my head. Jesus says, oops, I did it again. I healed this man. Got lost in the week. What day is it? Oops, I did it. He's confused. And the Pharisees, therefore the Pharisees also ask him how he received his sight. He says this. He put mud on my eyes. I washed it. And now I see. And you want to know how he did it? I was standing there blind. He put mud all over my eyes. I washed it off. Oh, I can see. It's that simple. Now, now he's probably violated the Sabbath as well. Because he wasn't supposed to do that. He wasn't supposed to go wash that. So some of the Pharisees said, this man, they're talking about Jesus, is not from God. Okay, okay, well, how's that? Well, because for this man does not keep the Sabbath. He must not be from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Technically, he didn't keep their version of the Sabbath. Okay, and we talked about that. He didn't keep their versions. He didn't really break any written laws. He didn't break God's written law. But what happened, and let's not be too judgmental here, but what happened was he didn't fit their version of God. Okay? Hey, have you ever known anybody like that that puts God in a box? He didn't fit their version of God. Their version of God would not have done that because their version of God fit into this little box and would not have violated one of the oral laws that we've set in place to keep us from violating the big law. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. But we put God in a box all the time. And Jesus started operating outside of the boundaries of the God box. And therefore, he cannot possibly be from God. Then it says this, but others asked, how can a sinner, dun, 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 the music changes again. If he's not from God, then he's got to be like us. And if he's like us, then he's got to be a sinner because we're all sinners, right? And everybody in the crowd standing behind him is going, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. You know, everybody, yeah, I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. So if he's not like us, and we're all sinners, then, then how could he perform such signs? I mean, if he's not from God, he's got to be like us. So how's he doing these signs? How's he doing these signs? Again, John refers to it as signs, not miracles. How can a sinner perform such signs? Then it says, they were divided. Then they turn again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? Referring to Jesus. I mean, it was your eyes that he opened. 
They're asking him, basically, is he a sinner or isn't he, okay? You're the one that we're standing here talking about. You're the one who caused all this commotion anyway. Is he or isn't he a sinner, the guy who opened your eyes? And the man replied, I, I, I don't know. He's a, he's a prophet. He's a prophet. Now, some of the Pharisees, they still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for his parents. The Pharisees are standing there talking to this guy. He's telling them the story of what happened. He says, well, he put mud in my eyes. I washed it, and I could see. Some of the Pharisees were standing back there going, ah, I know what's going on here. This guy was never actually blind. This is just some kind of ploy. This is some kind of conspiracy theory. They're messing with it. They're trying to stir up a lot of trouble. We need to shut this thing down, right? I mean, that's what it says. They, they didn't believe that he was born blind, and, and it says, until they what? They sent for his parents. See, if we were making a movie, the music changes again. Because this is serious. I mean, you don't send. The Pharisees don't call in the parents on the Sabbath day unless somebody's in trouble. Okay? It's the Sabbath day, and they're calling in the parents. The parents have got to be afraid. They say this, is this your son? Okay? Now, you, you got to imagine, these are the church people. These are the Christian people. These are the ones who love the Lord a lot, okay? And they say, is, is this your son? They ask, is this the one that you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? And his parents, you know, in this moment, they've got to be blown away. They say this. They say, well, we know he's our son, and, and we know he was born blind, but how he can now see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. We don't know. And they're afraid. They're afraid at this point. And, and they, they tell him this. They say, ask him. He's of age. In other words, ask him. For, he'll tell you himself. He's of age. He's old enough to stand in court. He's old enough to testify for himself. His parents said, ask him. And then check this out. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided. This is where I'm going this morning. I want you to catch that. His parents, they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders who had already decided, already decided, here's where some of us are today. Here's where some of us are that are watching online. Already decided, already made up their minds. There is no more room in their theology for what they were seeing that happened. There was no more room in their worldview for what they were seeing happening. It just was not going to work. There was no more room. They had already decided there's no more room for what they were experiencing. They already decided this, that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue, ostracized from the community, okay, done. The word we would use is excommunicated. They would be forced out, excommunicated. They were actually blinded. These, these religious people were blinded. The religious leaders were actually the ones in this story that were blind. 
They were blinded by their presuppositions. They were blinded by their assumptions. I said, I mentioned this guy a few weeks ago, Dr. Francis Collins. He wrote it. He said this. It was a willful blindness. It was willful blindness when there's something to see, but you won't look. That's willful blindness. When there's something to be discovered, but you won't take the time to discover it, that's willful blindness. When the cognitive bias that just allows you to only take the information that affirms or confirms what you already believe. Okay? You refuse to acknowledge anything else. That's called confirmation bias. You refuse to believe anything else that might pull you outside of your own context or as a Christian or non-Christian, whatever. You refuse to believe anything that might pull you away from what you already believe is your God box. When we start messing with things that doesn't fit in the historical God box that we've always believed it's supposed to be like, then we have issues with it. They're still not done with this guy, though. Verse 24 says this. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. Okay, so you were blind. We've gotten that far. We've asked your parents, something clearly happened, but we're telling you that we know for a fact that it was not Jesus because Jesus is a sinner, okay? He's a sinner. He could not have done this. So give glory to God and tell us the truth. What actually happened that made you be able to see? He replied this. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. Again, here we are. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. Look, I don't know everything. This is what the blind man's probably thinking. I don't know everything. I don't understand everything. But here's the thing. I don't have to understand everything to believe in something. I'm going to say that again. I don't have to understand everything to believe in something. I don't have to be able to explain all the Torah. I don't have to be able to memorize all the scriptures. I don't be, I have to give an explanation and try to line up the right verses or passages to explain what just happened. I don't know everything. All I know is that I, I just know one thing, and, and here's the good news for you this morning, is you don't have to know everything to believe something. Man, I cannot tell you how many people I run into constantly who always say, yeah, I want to get back in, but man, first I need to start reading my Bible, or I need to, I don't even know anything, I'm so far, they don't, you don't have to know everything to believe something. John's trying to say that to us, future generations right now. You don't have to know everything to believe something. See, we want to understand everything before we believe anything. That's one of the problems, I think, that we, as the church today, we face. We think we've got to know everything, and, and if we don't know everything, then that's a big issue. 
this guy, this blind guy, he's going, look, I get it. I'm weird. I, I, you know, you think this is the way it's going to be, but I don't know everything. And I'm telling you today as the exchange, you don't have to know everything to believe in something. I want to know everything, okay? Those of you that are thinkers, we talked about it at the beginning. We like to know everything. We want to figure this out. We got to figure out this whole thing. And it drives us nuts when we can't figure it out. We want to know everything. But the problem is, outside of church, we don't hold ourselves to that same standard in other areas of our life. We do in church, but not necessarily in other areas. For example, love. Do you believe in love? Yeah, explain it. That's a tough one. I mean, we can give some definitions, but love is a tough one to explain. Do you believe in energy? Yeah, but have you ever tried to explain it? That's a tough one. Do you believe in consciousness? Hard one to explain. Here's a big one. Do you believe in information? Yeah, we use it all the time, but and they're tough to explain. Same thing with energy and consciousness and with love. The story continues in this young man. He's getting bold now. He's fed up. He's aggravated. Can you imagine? Okay, they're in his face all the time. They're demanding. He give them answers. He's aggravated. And he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I know. One thing I know, listen, I love this next line. It's probably my favorite line in the Bible outside of things uttered by prophets or Jesus himself. This is probably one of my favorite things in the Bible because he's saying, listen, I don't know everything, okay? I can't answer all of your questions. Don't ask me theological questions because I can't explain it. Don't ask me to show you verses in the Torah to match up where I'm at because I don't know all of that. But here's what I do know. I was blind, but now I see. Okay, that's all that I know. Let me go over this again. I can't tell you everything. I can't explain everything away. All I know, and this is what he's saying. He's saying, I'm trying to get this in your thick, hard heads. I don't know who he is, sinner or not. I don't know. And frankly, I don't care. All I do know is while ago, I was blind, and he told me to wash my cotton-picking eyes out. I washed them out, and I can see. Get over it, right? Would that not frustrate you? All I know is I was blind, but now I see. Here's something incredible. This is maybe, maybe a lot of you know this, but millions and millions and millions of Christians, this is their story. This is your story. For most of us, this is your story. You can't even explain it, right? I mean, I can tell you of seasons in my life where I was absolutely suicidal. I've written letters of resignation, turned them in because I, was, I thought I was crazy, losing my mind, and suicidal. I can't explain everything. I can't explain what all I was going through, all the emotions, the things I was going through. But all I know is that somewhere in that season, something happened. And when something happened, it changed everything. There were seasons in my life when I was in college, I can't explain it, and I was at the bottom. I was at the bottom. I felt like I lost everything. And then all of a sudden, something, I can't explain it. I can't even give you a bunch of verses to make sense. I can't articulate it, but that's not the problem. All I know is I was once blind, but now I can see. That's it. 
And that's the story. I can't show you verses to substantiate all this. I just can't explain it to you. All I know is that something happened. For some of you, it happened instantly. For some of you, it happened gradually. But something happened. You were blind, and now you see. You've never been the same. And when people hear your story, they acknowledge the fact that something happened. And they want that, and they desire that, and they're drawn to that. And for you, if you're like me, you wouldn't go back for nothing. Amen? That's a good play. I put, they should shout here, but that's a good play. Because if you're like me, I'll say it again so you're ready. Ready? If you're like me, you'll never go back there. Right? We don't want to go back. We were once blind, but now I don't want to go back to being blind. Why would I go back there? I was blind, but now I see. And they ask him again. They're still not done. I mean, I would be so aggravated. I would lose my mind. They ask him again. So what did he do? How did he open your eyes? I'm not making this up. This is in John. John wrote this. John, as he wrote this, the dictator's probably going, what? And John goes, I know, just keep writing it. I'm just giving you all the details. And he says, so what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? They want more reasons not to believe uh, that this guy, what he's done. And he answers and he says, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And now I imagine he gets up in their face and he says, do you want to become his disciples too? You read that how you want. I read it as he's a smart aleck, okay? I don't care how you want to interpret it, but I read it as he's frustrated. I've already told you this. You're not hearing me. I don't know why you're not hearing me. Do you want to be his disciples? Is that the problem? Are you just so interested? you want to be his disciple too? He's done. Then John writes and he says, they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. He really ticked them off now. When he said, are you wanting to be his disciple? They just couldn't take it anymore. They said, you are his disciple. You are this fellow's disciple. We, by God, and they all probably stood up at this point. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And they're mad. They're furious, steaming. And now this guy, they just set him up. They just threw up a meatball. He's about to just grand slam it. They threw the, they set him up here. And this guy, he says, this man answered when they say that. Because they say, we don't even know where this guy comes from. This man answered. And he says, now that is remarkable. I'm going to pause for a second. Let you think about that. We don't even know where this guy comes from. This guy says, now that is remarkable. See, what's remarkable is that I got healed today. I was blind, but now I see. That's pretty remarkable. But what's even more remarkable than that, and he goes on, he says, you don't even know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. That's how I read it, okay? You want to know what's remarkable? You don't even know where this fellow comes from, and yet somehow he opened my eyes. Man, isn't that powerful? Oh, 
Isn't it obvious where he comes from? It's right before your eyes. How much more evidence do you need to know that he came from God? Somebody who is not from God cannot do this, cannot open the eyes of a man that was born blind. He continues and he says, if this were not from God, he could do nothing. If this man's not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. In other words, they're saying, you deserve to be born blind. Your parents deserve to raise you and spend all their money and all their resources and, and the embarrassment of when you became a beggar. You deserve this because you were conceived in sin. You got exactly what you deserve. And they go on and they say, how dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. That's verse number 34. For those that are keeping track. Francis Collins called this Willful blindness, refusing to look, refusing to see what can be seen, refusing to discover what can be discovered, being too afraid to turn around and peer beyond what you already know into the unknown. That's the journey we've been on as a church. That doesn't look good on anyone. And certainly not Christian. We're not immune to it for sure. But historically, our resistance to science, historically our resistance to people who aren't like us, our resistance to people who don't fit in the box that we've always been taught was acceptable to God. And I know I've shared this story, and I'm not even going to share it all, but I had a neighbor I invited everybody else to come to my church. I invited Daryl and Cola, remember? A few years ago, y'all started coming. They're my neighbors. They're some of my best friends. Love those guys. But there was one neighbor I stayed away from because he wouldn't fit in church. He wouldn't look good in church. And I stayed away from him for about six months until I realized how wrong I was. And when I invited him to church, the dummy came. He came to church and started coming to our church. Isn't that amazing? But he didn't fit my God box. See, doesn't sometimes our unwillingness to look beyond our God box make us look a little bit like the religious leaders in this story? Think about that. And what happens on the other side of the journey, many of us, instead of expressing compassion, we've expressed disdain. That for different generations, there have been different groups of people that have met, met this when they come to church. And we show that when they come to church. But we've limited God to a God box. And we've made him the God of the box. And if you've limited God to the God of the box, then you run the risk of leaving outside the context of your spirituality many, 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 many people who God loves. Not only this, you ultimately, when you limit God to that box, you can miss God. We should be the most curious, the most accommodating, the most accepting the most loving, the most compassionate, the most open-minded people in whatever room we enter. 
Come on, think about that. In every room that you walk into, we should be the most excited about science. We should be the most exciting about create. You know what? I was talking to somebody a few months ago, and they were talking about science and how it's. We were talking about college. They're their kids in college, and they were saying, man, I just wish they didn't have to do all this because science is showing them, you know, blah, 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 and it's arguing God, and they're trying to undo all this stuff. And I was like, no, 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 don't fight science because ultimately all science does is prove there is a God, okay? It proves there is a God. We should be excited about um, creating context for people who are far from God to move towards God. And any step that they take towards God should excite us to no end. Amen? Come on, any, any opportunity, any platform we can give to let people have an opportunity to draw closer to God should excite us. Perhaps God is bigger than you thought he was. You know, just maybe. Just maybe, maybe God is bigger than you were taught he was. Just maybe. Now, maybe I'm wrong. We're all wrong about a lot of things sometimes. Every 10 years, you should look back and go, oh, well, that was embarrassing, right? I can't believe I wore that, or I can't believe I thought that, or both in some cases. But fortunately, there are no pictures of our misconceptions about things 20 years ago. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe I ever thought that. can't believe I ever believed that. But 100 years from now, we're all going to be proven wrong about a lot of things. Think about the things that you've taught as a parent. Think about the things... Some of your parents maybe taught you that you're like, oh, that was not right. No, no. I use that all the time. But we're always learning, and we're always curious, and we're always figuring things out. But can, you, can we all agree on this? It's not okay not to look if there's something to be seen. See, isn't it our job to look um, when... When I started this church, I took everything that I believed, and I know this scares some of you to death, but I took everything that I believed and I chunked it out the window. Because my whole life, I've always been told what I believe by organized religion, by circles and streams that I've been in and been a part of, and everybody's always told me what I believe. I've even been in meetings where I was going to get ordained, and, and I was told, don't say that. Even though I agree with that, that's not what they want to hear. You need to say this. Okay. So I say what they want me to say so that I can get ordained because that was what was important. But what I'm saying is when, when, I, when I planted this church, I threw everything that I believed out, and slowly... I've taken the Bible, and I've brought those things back in as they fit. Not everything has been brought back in. Not everything that I've believed my whole life has been brought back in. But some of it, I've brought it back in, but I'm lining it up with the Word of God, and I've discovered that seeing is believing. 
that what John wrote in, in this document, he didn't write it to be in the Bible. We've talked about that just hundreds and hundreds of times. But he wrote this just as a document. But when John wrote, what he was trying to say is at the very end, I want you to understand, I want you to be convinced that seeing is believing, and I want you to be convinced the way I'm convinced and believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing that, you would have life in his name. Here's what I think John would probably say. He would say, look, I'm a simple man. I'm a fisherman. I was minding my own business, and this guy comes along, and, and I had the privilege to go with him. And in that moment when I started to travel with him, I realized that the light of the world touched down in the world, and it was so unbelievably bright, and he was so amazing, and the light was actually so much better than I ever, ever imagined it could be. That's what he taught us. And John would probably go on and he would say, but the biggest discovery of all is that he so loved the world that he gave himself so that no one could ever, listen to what I'm saying, so that no one could ever be lost to God. And when he died, we were, we were shocked. We were surprised. We were blown away. We, we thought we'd been fooled. We, we thought we'd been tricked. But then he rose from the dead. And we realized that he was actually everything that he claimed to be. And oh my goodness, you can't even imagine. God is so much bigger than we had ever dreamed. The good news is this to you, the church today. You don't have to understand everything to believe something. So my invitation to you, my question to you today is will you just go on a journey with us, maybe as a church, and choose to believe, choose to look, maybe, maybe open the door for the first time, maybe look for the first time, but would you just choose to say, you know what, I don't know everything, I don't have to understand everything, but I'll choose to believe, I'll choose to believe. I'll choose to open my mind and begin to look for things that I promise you can be seen. And I'll, I'll promise to start to try to discover things that I promise you can be discovered and will be discovered. Will you close your eyes with me this morning? Father, I pray right now, Lord, in this moment, God, that maybe there's someone here that's never never gone on this journey to look and see and discover and pursue and to chase you, God. That They've never been on this journey to understand. But, Father, I'm asking right now, Lord, that they'll begin to chase like never before, that they'll begin to look like never before. And, and, and when I say chase, God, it's not like, like you're running from us, but chase this opportunity to discover for the first time the life the life that John wrote about in his document when he says, when we believe, we'll have life like we've never had before. So God, I, I pray right now for the people in this room that are choosing to believe, that are choosing to go on this journey, those that are watching online. God, and let us as a church be a resource that they can call, that they can lean on, 
that they can depend on, Father, that help them journey along as they pursue a relationship with you that they've never had before. God, it's not about behavior modification. It's not about changing a bunch of things to come in and, and get right. God, but it's about choosing to believe something. And, and the some, something that I believe, that I, that I chose to believe that made all the difference in the world is that my faith and my foundation on, uh, of you, Jesus, is not built on the Bible. It's not built on the documents, God, but it's built on the event, the resurrection. When you died and you came back to life, that changed everything, and that sparked a movement, God, that, that started growing and growing, and people started changing, and people started believing, and that movement began to document, and that movement gave us the Bible, but my faith is you, Jesus. My faith is you, Jesus. God, and, and I pray right now for everyone in this room that they'll have that moment of believing like they've never believed before, and this morning that they choose to go on a journey of looking for things that they've never seen, discovering things that they've never discovered. We thank you for that, Jesus. We thank you for that. In your precious name we pray. Come on, if you believe that, say amen. Amen.